Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to episode three of series five of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Our guest this week is Rupert Morrison, a native New Zealander and rugby fanatic who grew up on a sheep farm, but off the field, Rupert is leading the way in data-driven organizational planning as CEO of Orgview. It was in Rupert's years as a management consultant, frustrated by the many tedious hours spent building models in PowerPoint and Excel, that were unsustainable for his clients, that drove him to build his own solution in Orgview, a SaaS platform for workforce analytics and modeling. So impassioned, he's also authored a Chartered Management Institute shortlisted book of the year on data-driven organization design. We'll spend much of today's episode in conversation about how HR needs a serious step change in order to manage the business and not just human resources in times of change. We'll also look at why finance is often stepping in on workforce planning and how HR must partner with them. And we'll also look at the role analytics plays in shaping the future workforce. And as with all our guests on the podcast, we also look into the crystal ball and ponder what the role of HR will be in 2025. This episode is a must listen for any HR professional who wants new ideas, wants to add value to their organisation and wants a voice at the board level, not just lip service. I'm sure listeners will enjoy Rupert's thinking on some of the most pivotal and challenging issues that HR isn't addressing. Before we get started, a brief word from our sponsor for Series 5 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Orgview. Orgview is the SaaS platform for workforce analytics and modeling that puts your organization on the front foot. Because in an era of constant disruption, getting ahead sure beats playing catch up. What Orgview does best is give you control of your workforce, how it's organized, how it operates, and how it can be designed to do better, all based on data. It connects HR and finance data so the business can come together to interrogate the present and plan ahead to ensure the workforce and the work it does delivers the business vision. This is real-time organizational planning and analysis for times of change. And that's why Orgview is used by the world's most progressive companies and consulting firms to continually shape their future organization. To discover more, visit the website at orgview.com. That's orgvue.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Rupert Morrison, CEO of Orgview and author of Data Driven Organization Design uh, to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Great well, to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Rupert. Can you give a quick introduction to yourself um, and your background? First? Sure. So I uh, grew up on a sheep farm in New Zealand. Um, had lots of fun riding motorbikes and uh, things like that. And then studied economics, uh, sort of mathematical economics, and didn't really know what to do. Uh, didn't have much of an imagination. So do I go into investment banking or management consulting? Really no imagination at all. <laughs> so chose uh, management consulting. And did that, loved it, uh, but got quite frustrated at clients saying to me, this is fantastic, but what am I going to do in six months' time? Yeah. Because all the work was visualized in PowerPoint, mostly crunched in Excel, sometimes in Access, and as a one-off piece of analysis. And really, the, the sort of work we're doing when that was fairly strategic in nature, if you could maintain that analytics, then obviously it would give a lot of value into the future. So... I set up um, a company which combined technology and management consulting and developed the product Orgview because I was just passionate around organization design and workforce planning and thought if we could create a product that enabled you to design the organization as a system, mm. then that would be really powerful. Uh, and, and now that's 
it's about 12 years ago so it's, it's been a bit of a journey yeah i bet it has and i, I and obviously we, we we've met each other during points in that journey and i particularly remember when your book uh, was launched and we'll come back to that towards the end um, i think we were reminiscing the last time we spoke was in an air, airport lounge in philadelphia after the walton people analytics conference enjoying a nice Rouge together. Rouge together. Yeah. That's right. And I did manage to sleep on the plane after that. And we so. said we have to see each other again. We did. We're not good at staying in contact, are we? And here we are, eighteen months here we later. Are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, org design. Always fascinated when I'm talking to you about your vision around organisation design. And I'd really like you to, to share that uh, briefly with with the listeners, but also why organisation design is becoming more and more important in our digital age as well. So, org design starts with strategy. Uh, it presupposes you have a strategy. Uh, and that, that you can document that. And, and, and then it's around how do you organize the organization so you can execute that strategy? And that's what it's fundamentally about. And the, the mistake that people make is they see the organization as the org chart and who reports to who yeah. and focused on people. And it's, it's really having a systems approach. Which, and there's nothing new in me saying that. So uh, Galbraith had the star model, McKinsey got the 7S model, uh, which is all around connecting the different pieces of the organization. So if you understand what are the objectives, what are we trying to achieve? You want to understand what is the work and the activities and accountabilities. Yeah. You want to understand what are the competencies, so the skills and behaviors to be effective at doing that work so you can achieve those outcomes. And then you need to think about what are the roles and those roles get broken into positions and people fulfill those positions. So you're connecting and for me, it's data driven because these are data driven. These are pieces of data. Uh, what you then do is you manage that on an ongoing basis. And, and another flaw that people think of is they think of as an as is in a to be world. Yeah. As if that is it, and all of a sudden we get to this nirvana to be place, job done. We can all go home. Yeah. Put our feet up for uh, five years. And, yeah. That's it. And most organisations. Um, London Olympics maybe is an exception to that. Most organisations are there to keep on growing and, and, and becoming, you know, to win in the marketplace. Or, and, and to do that, you need to continually evolve. And the one thing that's disruption's always been around. Um, Schumpeter talked about creative destruction a long time ago, um, sort of pre war. But the difference now is the, the pace yeah. at which the disruption's happening. And so we call it designing for disruption. How do you stay on top of that and turn it to your competitive advantage? Yep. And what I found fascinating, because I was in preparation for this podcast, I was listening to one of your previous ones. And Dave Orrick, who, who um, is one, you know, one of the fathers of modern HR, uh, talked about people can be champions, but organizations win championships. Yeah. And, and he, he went further to say it's not talent or people which provide the competitive edge but organization systems. And I was fascinated that he, he was talking like that uh, because that's very much what, what we believe uh, and, and what we're really about is creating the how. So how do you do that in, in practice? Create that forward-looking planning process so that you can be competitive in the marketplace. And interesting around the forward planning part, I mean, if we look at HR, there seems to be a bit of a fundamental problem. Um, as you said, things are becoming more dynamic, so organisation design is, is increasing in importance, frequency, and probably complexity as well. Um, but the vast majority of HR functions don't necessarily have the tools and capabilities required to succeed. 
And when we were talking about this last week, you drew a really nice link between finance and HR and the need to distinguish between operations and planning. I think that'd be a really great story to, to, to or process to outline to, to our listeners. Actually. Great, no, thank you. So let's start with finance. And uh, finance is broadly broken into two sub-functions. There is financial control. So that's doing all your financial accounting, your bookkeeping, credit control, treasury. And without that, you literally run out of business. You don't have cash, you can't do your regulatory accounting, you're kind of finished. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the financial controller that is sitting next to the CEO and the executive team, the management team, helping them. It's the other finance function, FP&A, financial planning and analysis. They do the budgeting, they do the planning, they pull the levers and do the analysis so you can execute the strategy from a financial perspective. And FP&A is there in that ongoing planning, forward-looking, driving the business forward. Now, what's interesting, according to Deloitte, 75% of the finance function is financial control. Yeah. 25% is FP&A. So it's a huge investment in the finance function and financial planning and analysis. And data from our own clients bear that to be true as well. We, we see a similar thing. Now, in HR, we have HR operations, the employee lifecycle management. Yeah. So think talent acquisition, join a mover lever, L&D, dispute resolution, which is a favorite of many people in HR. Uh, and, and, and without that, you don't have a business. Yeah. Right? It is fundamental and is crucial that that operates effectively. But what you also have is organizational planning and analysis, OPNA. And OPNA is the workforce planning, which is tied to organizational design. And organizational design becomes workforce planning. Yeah. Because all the your positions that you design as your 2B, well, your 2B isn't a point in time. It's every month you have new positions that are coming and going. And so that dynamic process becomes workforce planning. Uh, it's also the analysis, which you know is one of your big passions, but it's the forward-looking analytics. Yeah. And, it, and the mistake that people often make when they talk about analytics is they think about historical yeah. analysis. And 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 even that you know that they talk like the nirvana of analytics is being predictive. Well, I, I would you know I disagree with that respectfully because. It's not just about predicting the future, like employee churn, who might leave or who might not. It's about planning the future mm. against that strategy. And OPNA is a function like FPNA. Now, if the data, when I look at uh, my clients when we arrive, most HR functions are between 98 to 100% operational HR. And it's at most 1% to 2% OPNA. Yeah. And so think about that disconnect of investment and resources. 89% of uh, organizations we surveyed are doing HR analytics, but the vast majority are not happy, and the vast majority of CEOs make no decisions based on HR data. I think it's max 15%, something like that. Mm -hmm. And why is that? It's because they're looking at that HR for HR, backward looking, even predictive churn, but not that planning, which is yeah. the OPNA. And not necessarily converting some of the sometimes great insights from the kind of looking backwards into something that actually resonates with the business. What's the action? Yeah, what's the action to yeah. take? How does this impact our revenue, our costs? Yeah, you know, but it's strategy. But it's also uh, management is about plan, do, review. I plan something, I do something, 
where was I successful, where was I not? Yeah. And there's a cadence to management. And the, the issue is, you know, finance gets that cadence. There, there are monthly management reports, quarterly ones, annual ones, annual budgeting cycles, um, some organizations moving to continuous budgeting. Yeah. Right. That relies on continuous HR, should be the same, plan, do, review. And, and what I call it, because I love, you have to forgive me, but I love to create TLAs, three-letter acronyms. It's a sort of a hobby. <laughs> so one of them is uh, TAF. What, what is your target? Yeah. What is your actual? Yeah. What is your forecast? If you don't have a target, how do you know if you're on track or not? You don't. So you don't. So let's start with the target. Where do we want to get to? Strategies about target setting, but those have to cascade. If you don't know where you are versus those targets, again, you're lost. Right? Where are we good? Where are we not? Why? And then your forecast is where do we think we're going to get to? And, and that's what planning is. It's yeah. planning the future. And that's what management is. And the seat at the table is doing that with organizational data. Yeah. And, and that is what I think is the future of HR. Well, not just the future, because obviously you need to do the operations yeah. piece and you need to have, have excellence in that. And a lot of the OPNA feeds that and feeds the HR business partner. Because what is the role of the HR business partner if it isn't to help their people they're doing, you know, have the relationship with to do that planning? Do the planning, yeah. And yep. and and it's and the planning for me isn't just around how many heads do we need. Mm-hmm. So the position management, the workforce plan. It's understanding the roles. And so most people have written a job description at some point in their life. So it shouldn't be too much of a surprise to, to say what data do we have on a job description? Well, we have what's the purpose of the role? But we also have what are the objectives? What do you try what does the role need to achieve? What is the work and the accountabilities? And what are the competencies to be excellent at that? And so you also need to understand that from a job family perspective. So what are the technical competencies? But also when you think about the grades. Yeah. So the seniority and what are the behavioral? And that creates a job grid. And so what I'm really talking about is master data management, a lot of this. And the foundation of good analytics is good data mm-hmm. and therefore good master data management. And each of these components are components of that data that are connected. What's the business impact of, of good OPNA? So we just did a piece of research with the CEBR. And, and they do a lot of economic analysis for people like the Bank of England and what have you. And, and what they found is that people who invest in organizational planning and analysis, even a little bit, yeah. have a two-fold increase in productivity growth versus those that don't. Wow. Which translates into Which translates dollars and pounds. For yeah. the UK economy, that's over 10 billion. For the US economy, that's close to 100 billion. Uh, GDP growth would literally jump up by half a percentage point. So it, it is significant at, at a macroeconomic level, let alone at an yeah. individual business level. And, and, and what we found is most organizations invest very little, um, l- less than 10,000. So people are just not investing in this, yeah. even though that those that do have a twofold. And, and by the way, we calculated productivity as profit per employee. So it's a, it a hard economic measure. Mm. And it's not just the impact that it has on a business. It's also the impact it has on employees. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Daniel Pink's work. Yep. 
yep. around what drives engagement in the workplace. Purpose, mastery, autonomy. So what is purpose? What's well, being clear about your objectives and what you're trying to achieve. What is autonomy? It's having clarity around what you're responsible for. So what activities, what you do, what decision rights you have. Yeah. Right. And so that's pushing those down. And it's been clear at mastery is, do you have the competencies to excel at that? So the same pieces of data that I talked about in the job design and I talked about in the Augusta system, it's, it, another lens is this engages employees. And employees, if they don't have role clarity and everyone's falling over each other, politics creeps in, it means you can't be engaged and motivated. And the number of times that people... There's, there's a word in the US called riffing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's another three-letter acronym. Reduction in force. And yeah. they call it a riff. And the number of times that happens with not actually thinking about the work or the impact on the employee, and therefore it feels like chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. And the number of times people say, well, there's been this all change. Lots of my colleagues have been made redundant but nothing's really changed for me. The work hasn't changed. If you don't change the work first and take, if you're going to make cost savings, you've got to change the work. Yeah. So what they do, they don't focus on the work, they just focus on the workforce, make huge cost reductions, say to the same, you know, fewer employees do more, and by the way, have no clarity as to why. It's no surprise that they're going to be pretty unengaged and unhappy. Mm. And, and, and so... For me, this is as much a moral imperative yeah. uh, as it is an economic one. It's clearly an economic one. Um, the, the morality, I, I will tell you, I, I see so many organizations uh, commissioning consulting firms to come in and do a ref, do a reduction in force yeah. based on one single measure, which is span of control. Yeah, we talked about this last week. It's a yeah. good example here as well. Yeah. So it's a very simple measure. How many people do you manage? Yeah. Uh, and it's very easy to quantify the savings by increasing span of control. Mm. Um, I could literally do it for you in two minutes for any organization. And people are going in not even thinking about the work, the relationships, the competencies, they're just reducing the org structure to take cost savings out yeah. because of a short-term pressure, causing chaos, not and, and therefore using that single metric to design your organization. And you gave quite a good example last week. You compared two people with difference with what would appear to be the same span of control, but actually when you start getting into the detail, it's very, very different. So so we, we think a better measure is burden of management. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll use an example of Adam and Bridget. So you've got Adam and Bridget, they're both managers. They've both got a span of control of eight. So the work's the same. Yeah. Right? There's no difference. But everyone that reports to Adam is in the same location, actually in the same office. Where Bridget, different locations, different time zones. Adam, the team's all experienced, been there for a long time, there are no performance issues. Bridget, lots of new people, performance issues. Adam, they all do the same job. I'm managing literally one set of KPIs across yeah. eight people. Bridget, different jobs. 
different job titles, but also different sub-functions. Could even be different functions. So, which is harder? Bridges by some margin. Yeah. Exponentially harder. Mm. And, and so this is a way of using organizational data. All that data you have, you have for, for each manager, you, you know the number of different job titles, the number of different locations, different time zones you can calculate. You can look at the performance of the team, the tenure of the team, and, and, and even just looking at the relate, you know, what is the relationship in terms of tenure between manager and the team members and how that fluctuates will give you some insight into how easy or hard it is to manage. Yeah. And when you when you look at that and you say heat map your organization, you can start to see risk. You can start to see those poor managers who, who may be junior got a huge burden of management that guess what? There's probably a reason why there's high churn in that team because mm-hmm. the manager's overstretched. And, and you also want to look at things like, are the, the difference in grades appropriate? So often um, there's a thing called compression. The grades are too similar. You know, an MD reporting to an MD in banking is very common. Yeah. Then, then if the grades are too similar, you're going to feel micromanaged. And if they're too different, you're not going to understand each other. So, yeah. so this is when you start looking into you know, the Elliott-Jack model of the requisite organization. And again, that's just data that you've got and you, you have that information. So it, it, I, I just think it's important. And, you know, there's a moral imperative that HR professionals stop just looking at span of control as the measure and designing on that basis yeah. and being more holistic. And it's not that complicated. And stop calling an org health check your span of control analysis. Yeah. It's too it, simplistic. It's so simplistic. So these are great. So OP and I, I get it, and, and you'd expect me to, to, to get it as well. Um, two, two kind of related questions. Why aren't more HR functions invest or more companies investing in this capability? And what are the key building blocks, do you believe, for HR to build this capability moving forward? So the, the first thing is uh, a lot of FP&A is not run by people who were financial controllers. They come from other places. Yeah. Uh, they might have come from investment banking or corporate finance. Uh, FP&A is a discipline. You can go and you can be trained in it, and, and, and you need to be. OP&A is the same. It is, it is a different discipline to talent acquisition or L&D and, and, and these sort of HR for HR functions. So you, you need to educate yourself and be educated. Um, and it, but it's not just a skills thing or a knowledge thing. It's also a system thing. Yeah. Right? You need the right technology. And, and with, with technology, like an FP&A, it's not just one set of technology, but it, it's, and it's certainly not just Excel. That's the problem. People rely on Excel and PowerPoint. Um, and you, that just doesn't work at the speed that you need it to work. So you need your systems, you need the people, the skills, and you need different types of roles. You need people who can design taxonomies, like competency taxonomies, yeah. uh, who can think about role and role architecture and connect these dots. You need people who can communicate and influence senior executives and, and help them because guess what? They're all struggling with the same problem. If you're a business leader, you spend a huge amount of your time thinking about your organization. 
and to help them stopping to just think about the people they have and to think about the positions and the roles, they need support. And so, and I, th I think it requires a change in, in mindset from the HR business partner. Um, and, and, and so, all, it, again, you know, the philosophy is you have to be holistic yeah. in your org design. You have to be holistic in, in OP&A. And, and what I see as a, as a big barrier is HR functions jump to, oh, let's create a shared service. Let's create a center of excellence. Yeah. Right. Or, or let's, let's go and put three people in that and, and underinvest X consultants or something. It's, it's not going to work. Um, that, and then look at the, the finance function. They don't do that. Mm. So it, it needs conviction. It needs investment. This is, I will say, this is a multi-year journey. Yeah. This doesn't just happen in two weeks, three weeks. Right? This, this takes real, real commitment to build a team um, and, and to get operational processes working because this is a monthly operational process. You know, operate, workforce planning is not an annual thing. No. no. Uh, and, and, and the systems have to talk. But you, it's also important to bring in the financial data so you need to bring in the cost center information so that you can, with finance, understand what is the cost of your organization over time by cost center. Yeah. Um, what is it by the slices of your organization? So by, by function, by business unit, by geography. Uh, so you have to be able to answer those questions because your different stakeholders have come from a different perspective. So Orview, you created Orview quite a few years ago now. And we've, we've out, you've outlined a lot of challenges, I think, around creating this OPNA capability. How does Orgu help companies solve some of these problems? So everything I've talked about, you're using Orgu to solve. Yeah. And it, it, it might be a nice little segue if that's okay, just to talk about how I created Orgu in the first place. Yes, because um, it, it wasn't a man in a shed, but it, <laughs> it, was, it was a man with PowerPoint and Excel, if yeah. you can imagine. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of PowerPoint slides, Excel models, and deep frustration at dealing with this data using that, those technologies. And actually, I, I was pretty good at Microsoft Access as well and, and, and building relationship databases. And I sat down with a bunch of uh, computer engineers and designers and said, I, I want to build something. Um, the data is always bad. Yeah. Uh, it's slow moving, changing, and I want to connect all the stuff seamlessly in real time and, and, and by the way, visually. Um, because the way you see the world defines the way you understand it. So if you can't yeah. see it effectively, you can't, you can't understand it, you can't design it. And, and so what we did is we created a, a data model that we, we can suck in any data and it just, it's forgiving. Uh, so the data's wrong, we'll tell you it's wrong and we'll give you a report oh. that says the, these things could be off, um, that we, we forgive you, which, which you can't do in a relationship database. So it's and, and I I did not have an understanding that there was a difference between a relationship database and say a graph database. I I didn't have that paradigm. Uh, I just thought everything was a relationship. You know, my world was Excel with sheets. Yeah. But actually, what we what we have to do is not the system is you you have nodes that are connected to other nodes, and a taxonomy is just a bunch of nodes that are in hierarchy. So what what all you do enables you to do is take this data in and create new data because a lot of it doesn't exist. Your position data doesn't exist. Your competency data doesn't exist. Your activity data. And then connect it through links. And yeah. those links have values. So an example, you have a person, David. You have an activity, watching movies. You have a link. What's the frequency, the time, how happy, and what have you. 
And what we then do is we call it traversing the graph. Um, and, and so you, that's where all those calculations come from. So that's why we can calculate things like burden of management or the bureaucracy, which is, you know, how far do you have to traverse the organization to get decisions done and how far do you have to escalate up to get a decision done. So all these metrics, these are OP&A metrics, planning metrics, and then divine in the product, which also has, therefore, workflow because you have to be able to do, to do role design. You have to go through a form to set those roles. And so there's a process and out comes a job description from that, from that data. Uh, but you also need to capture actuals. And so because the data doesn't exist, we use surveys and mechanisms like that. And then that can be you know, self-reported, manager, et cetera. Yep. Um, but it's really fluid. And you kind of have to see it. And we call it painting with data. So all the data is there. And if you see it's wrong, you use drag and drop and change. And, you know, it's a little bit like um, vision is a little bit like minority report. Just You can see something say, hey, I want to move that over there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one day we'll be in virtual reality, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so, so obviously, you know, it's a SaaS platform and it, it's, it's used by these, you know, growing OPNA functions and, and, and the business, anyone doing transformation. So it's a big use case for it. So if you're doing post-merger integration or something yep. that will design, and it's used a lot by the consulting industry as well because um, they can't just arrive with Excel and PowerPoint anymore. You know, those days are fortunately over. Um, so, you know, we're, it's, it's, been a, it's been quite a journey to, to take it from, from you know, an idea and, and we built it all from the ground up. So all the yep. visualizations and everything are sort of all native to the, to the product. Well, for anyone who's listening who hasn't seen it, it's very impressive because I have seen it in, in operation. Thank you. And bring it to life for a couple of client examples of how com- companies have So all, all these examples are, are client examples. Right, okay. Um, so the ones where I talked about, you know, the HR process or the post-merger integration or the, the competencies um, and mapping those and, and, and seeing, you know, where you have gaps. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've taken data in from 50 different systems um, and cleaned it and, and, and got it live. You know, a, a, a common use case is pre-workday implementation. Yep. How do you get your data sorted pre-workday? Take it into org view, get it clean, get it structured, and then it moves. Uh, another use case is um, it, it, we, we, we've got a really rich card for, for talent mapping. So all the talent metrics and, and movement, so see, you know, bringing in the ESAT scores, bringing in the burden of management metrics, all of these into one card, so you can see the entire organization. Um, and, and and it's also, uh, it can get confused with org charting software, which, which is a problem we have. Yeah, You know, people just focus on org charting so much. And yes, we produce org charts, but we, we produce um, icicle diagrams and sunbursts and sunflowers and all sorts of different visualizations to give you a different lens on, on that data. And, each one just gives a different perspective, um, and to make it playful. And certainly, yeah. from speaking to some of your clients or customers over the years, they've said that what's really powerful for them, they can take it into meetings with executives and play around with it live. So to, they can model different scenarios almost in in real time, which I think adds. It, it's literally in real time. Yeah. And 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 as you're making the changes, you can see the delta. Yeah. In real time. So if you. Um, Whatever that scenario is, you know, let's go to my my favorite hate subject, spanner control. If if you you can see the spans and you can literally do a scenario and you've got if you want to take everyone who's got a spanner control less than 
then x and a function y. Yeah. In less than five seconds, I can drag all of those, drop them in, redraw the org chart, show the impact, and see who, who's going to be affected by that. Um, so, you know, if anything else, do not spend money on management consultants to do spanner control analysis, please. More for the moral reason. Um, <laughs> get them to do more value-added work. But, you know, it's, it's, it's that real time, and, and that was the frustration in PowerPoint. Yeah. Because I'd go in with PowerPoint slides and clients would be like, okay, can we change this, this, and this? Yeah. And then you're back, and then you have to add up all the numbers in Excel, and then the PowerPoint and Excel version control, and back. And the, the iterative time, even if you're working through the night, it's at, at best days, yeah. at worst, you know, to get everyone together, weeks, months. Um, so, and that's the thing, it's designing for disruption. It's, it's the speed of decision-making yeah. is, is crucial, and, and that's why that dynamic thing is really, really important. And better utilization of time. Much better utilization. Well, well one, one of our consulting partners said that they, um, you know, they're four times faster at doing this work. Yeah, which they might not like when they come to put their... Well, no, I mean, they can do more value. They can do... They yeah, can do they, let's get them doing activity work. Yeah, we're not going to denigrate consultants. That's not good. Not, not for a nanosecond. <laughs> Any of those that just sell span of control work. So, so, so moving on, we, this, we asked this question of all our guests on the show, and, and you can go beyond 2025 if you want. So what do you think the role of the HR function will be come 2025? I, I, I think like marketing before it, like finance, it, it is a role for specialists, for experts. Uh, it is a, 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 obviously it's a critical function. I, I, I think it's silly to even have that debate. Um, is it more critical than finance? Probably. Um, is it just about talent? Absolutely not. Mm. Is talent crucial? Yes. Uh, does talent win, win the war? No. Right, organizations do. Um, so I, I think on the HR operations side, Deep experts, talent acquisition is is, is crucial. You know, yeah. it's it's getting the right people. Uh, L and D fundamental, right? Upskilling, competencies are changing, work is changing. You can't just recruit externally, and it's much better to develop internally anyway. This is kind of a belief. Comp and Ben, you have to get right. You don't want to be overpaying or underpaying. You've got to, you know, it's a Goldilocks. Yeah, and you need to and being clear as to why you're paying what you're paying, and so that everyone. So it doesn't become distractive from an engagement perspective. So the, these, you know, process join and move a lever, you know, absentee management, all of that, crucial. It's about efficiency and deep expertise. And in, in my in my view, OPNA has to be at the forefront. Uh, the chief people officer should be spending more of their time thinking about OPNA work. The operations works and it works effectively and efficiently. But if you want to be helping the business drive forward, then you're effectively the HR business partner for the exec. That's your role and the CEO and the, and the executive. Your HR business partners are those for their respective areas, be it the function they're supporting, the geography or what have you. Uh, and the OPNA is that forward-leaning kind of brains of the organization yeah. like FPNA is. And, 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 and to me, all of that working in, in unison um, at speed, uh, and, and it shouldn't be five years. No. There's no, no, there's no excuse for why five years. Yeah. You know, it should, it, this should be happening now and, and with our clients. That's the journey we're on. So hopefully by 2025, 
well, every company, but certainly, well, why not every company has an OPNA capability in there, which maybe is representative for similar finance, 25% perhaps of the, of the HR investment. So. I, I would hope so. I really would. Um, and and I'm, I'm tired. I mean, you go to more conferences than I do. I do too. Few but conferences. I go to quite a few. I'm yeah. really, really tired of the seat at the table conversation. Yes, it's, it's really dull. And this is you don't get a seat at the table. You don't. You earn it. You have it. It's there. No one for nanoseconds questions the FPNA seat at the table no. because of the business value and the importance of that forward-looking decision making. And so I think it's it's, it's literally the same. And and by the way. Finance will be a much better function for it, uh, and because they really struggle, FPNA struggles with the same data. Yeah, and all the other functions, and particularly the employees and the managers. I mean, I really feel sorry for the managers because managers often are given no training. You get promoted. Yeah, just keep your other job. You know, coach them, do this, be an expert, um, and all of that with what support. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the right HR function is giving the right skills and competencies and, and role focus so that everyone's successful and therefore you have great, great organisations. Well, Rupert, before we, before we wrap up, I, I couldn't not mention your book, Data Driven Organisation Design, which is a, a great read and covers a lot of the themes that we've discussed today. So what's your 30 second pitch to our listeners on, on why they should read the book? I'm a big believer in the how. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot of theory. Uh, I like to think of myself as a pragmatist. Um, maybe it's, it's growing up on the sheep farm and, 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 and doing sort of the manual jobs growing up. Uh, and, and so the book is my best effort to help people break down, not just from the, the macro design, the, the, the operating model, into the micro, which is the detailed design, into elements like right sizing so how do you work out how many positions you need and down into execution making it real um, and sustaining that competitive edge uh, so the book is really war stories as to mistakes i've made um, which are numerate you had several, no, several, everyone makes mistakes you make, for them. particularly particularly on org design yeah um, and you know so it talks th- through those mistakes and it, it, it's really apart from the how it's really a call out to be brave um, to, to do it right for the right reasons rather than designing around the politics mm. and around people. You know, and then that, that you have to be brave to do that. And it, it's not easy. Um, so hopefully, read, the hopefully book. read the book. Read the book, yeah. So thanks for being a guest on the show, Rupert. How can people stay in touch with you and learn a bit more about Orbview? So I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, and also we have our website, um, Orbview, and I, I should spell that. It's um, org, which I think everyone can get, and then V-U-E, which, uh, com. so orgvue.com, and V-U-E stands for Visual User Experience, because we are nerds, so we like to, there's another TLA for you. Another, yeah, <laughs> we are, then. fantastic. Well, Rupert, thanks for being, and, and actually one thing I should say, and we'll put some of the links when we send, well, accompanying the podcast, is you guys have produced a number of reports, I think this year you did one called Making People Count which people can download for, from the AllView site. Definitely recommend it. It's a, it's a good read. So, Rupert, okay. thank you very thank much. You. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app. 
and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make this podcast. If you haven't already, do check out myhrfuture.com for the latest learning and news on the future of HR. And you can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter there too. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to RJ Milner, VP of Workforce Planning and Analytics at McKesson, on how McKesson used organizational network analysis to understand what drives high performance in sales. So don't miss that one, and we'll see you next time.